0: of Nehemiah, this morning we are in lesson number five, and we're talking about God rebuilding the testimony, his testimony that he has established for his purpose, for the revelation of his glory, for the revelation of his character, for the revelation of how great and wonderful he is, and so we've been discussing how God rebuilds, we said that God rebuilds Builds what he has established in us. This morning we'll talk about God rebuilding through obedience. And as we go through this material, the the danger usually is for maybe all of us, I don't know, but for many of us at least, is that we intellectualize what we're learning. It's information, it's a study. if we're not careful, the entire purpose of the word of God is that we personally, God's testimony in a clearer and clearer way every day. And so as we go through this, whether it's this morning, last week, next week, let's make sure we want to look at whatever it is that we're studying and we want to see where we are in this. What is the Lord saying to me this morning about my life? Because every one of us are in a place where God is established his testimony, and is moving forward in it, and is building or rebuilding. But whether it's building for the first time or rebuilding, the application of truth is about the same. So this morning we'll be talking about obedience. God builds through obedience, and he rebuilds through through obedience, so the application would be the same. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for being on time. This is who you are and what you're doing and what you want to do. So we are cooperating with you and we're opening our hearts this that God would do something and bring about the activity of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that he's heard about from his brother, that the walls are in ruin, the people are in bad shape, and of course Nehemiah receives this great burden from the whole That when the Holy Spirit leads us to pray about anything at all, about anyone, any situation, it doesn't matter. The great probability, not always, but the great probability is that our practice of prayer is going to be used by the Holy Spirit to produce the product of prayer. So when we are making ourselves available to God for prayer, do so with this. The vehicle, or at least part of the means, of bringing about the resolution, the the work of God for which I'm praying, and this is exactly what's going to happen in Nehemiah. So we're going to find out that the great product of prayer in our life can be boiled down to one essential word, and that is obedience. You may say worship; we can say worship; we can say obedience, but we're using these terms synonymously in this morning talk specifically about about obedience. So everything about our life in God revolves around this great issue of our obedience. And I believe this text, this chapter 2, at least reveals six aspects of obedience, and I have them listed here. Obedience waits, it responds, it is prepared, it observes, it involves others, and it anticipates start with the first, and I think very much the most difficult place of obedience is waiting. You remember if you look back on chapter 1, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11, and Nehemiah has been praying and asking the Lord to move. We won't go through that prayer again. We went through that last week. And what does Nehemiah ask God to do right at the end of the prayer? He says, Give me success. today. I have a need. There is a real problem. Things are not going well. I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. Anybody ever been in any of these categories at all? Every one of us. And so we pray. And he doesn't pray incorrectly to say today because I think that's the way to do it. We ask God for his favor and his move. Today, I need something now. And so Nehemiah asked for a resolution, a move from God, a word, something from heaven. I need it now. I remember when Joel Masson was in the hospital. And if you remember when Joel was in the hospital, he was premature. I think he was born like with two pounds and two ounces, and then he grew to one pound, eight ounces, or something like that. I mean, he was in trouble he was remaining in the hospital for like a hundred days. Any of the mamas or papas here this morning that it was about a hundred days he was in that hospital? And I remember prayer going forth, and every day there was a particular need. And so what we did, we said, Father, we need a miracle, but we need a miracle now. Today, right now, we need a miracle because there was a need day by day for miracles to occur. The hand of God gave miracle after miracle after miracle. If you weren't here during that period of time, you need to talk to the Masson. This is a walking miracle. But God always doesn't answer that way. So I need to hear from you, Lord, today, he says. So that's the end of chapter 1. However, when we turn to chapter 2, what does it say? It says, you know, going to see that the particular month that they are in, in the beginning of chapter 2, is four months later. Chapter 1 shows that for four months had elapsed before Nehemiah would see the answers to his prayer. Four months. I remember the Lord gave me this term, and it's in your notes. I'm praying one night, and we're talking about this subject, The more difficult the situation, the longer it is that we have to wait. Have you ever noticed that kind of a thing? The simple little things, boom, we get a quick answer, and we are moving along. And then something really happens, and it's like heaven closed its doors, and it says we're out for lunch. What's happening? understand? Does he really love me? What have I done wrong? Do we get these kinds of questions in our minds? Time tests trust. Time tests trust. You see, for Nehemiah to correctly obey the Lord, he had to learn to wait. Had Nehemiah received the answer to his prayer immediately don't say the Lord could not and would not have done in him the same thing that he did, having caused him to wait four months. But it is God's work to prepare us to get things ready in us mainly in order for his work and his will to be accomplished in a way that glorifies him and not just gets work done. See, God is not in the job of just getting things done, moving things along doing things, he's in the business of building people. That's God's work. And for that reason, God takes his time to do what he needs to do. Why the wait? How many of you know what the reference I have here? Isaiah 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be They shall walk and not faint. Well, the word wait there is not a passive word. I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to wait. It's not that kind of wait. The waiting here that Isaiah is talking about is the activity of God to be doing nothing when it seems as if he is doing nothing you and I must remind ourselves this is an impossibility Jesus says what I am working and my father is what always what he's doing and we're trusting his timetable. And so it is the activity of being braided together with God. The very thin weak braid being braided into the very strong powerful braid so that the two are blending together to become one. But this is a process of waiting. A process of The Lord was preparing Nehemiah's heart and his head. This is what God is doing in our lives when we're waiting. He's preparing our heart and our head for the work of restoration. A statement that is applicable necessarily for any time and every believer under any circumstance there is a caveat to that statement it comes in verse 12 and Paul says I have learned I have learned something how did he learn it through waiting being tested being tried through circumstances much in charge, I can relax and go through this in a way that trusts God. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Someone asked years ago, how do you know The most important place for Nehemiah to be in his walk with God was first trusting God. Trusting in God's revealed will, trusting in God's delay, if you would, trusting when nothing seems to be happening, trusting when it doesn't seem as if God is a cupbearer for the king. And you remember as cupbearer for the king, he is the one who's tasting the wine or whatever it is that the king's drinking. And if Nehemiah dies and the the king doesn't drink the wine, but if Nehemiah lives, obviously the king can drink the wine. Now, when you came before the king in those days, you had to look nice. looking grumpy before the king. You don't want to come in here sad-faced. So for months, Nehemiah has been coming before the king with a smile on. He's been working, I think, on this smile, on this, this look that he has before the king for months. But you see, God is at work. God is preparing. And so on the day of verse 2, at the end of verse 1, and I had not been sad in his presence. For four months, I've not been sad. For four months, I've been okay. Then all of a sudden, I walk into his presence on this day, and I'm kind of losing control. What's going on? In verse 2, and the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing uh, you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then okay for four months. He's been praying. He's been praying. He's been hoping. He's been praying. He wants God, move, Lord. I need you to move, Lord. I need you to do something, Lord. I need an answer, Lord. Something has to happen, Lord. Please move. Anybody pray like that? We've got to have an answer. Some kind of an idea, a sign. Would you move? God's going to move. But you see, he's moving in a way that Nehemiah, expecting, which is typical of God, is, as one man says, vintage Yahweh, it's just vintage Yahweh, when we say move, what we're looking for is a particular kind of move and activity, is that right, we have something in our mind that we have already determined is the move of God, and when I see this thing happen, when I hear this thing, when I, whatever, then I know it's God. So we've already told God, not explicitly, but kind of hinted at God, you know, and kind of helped him along in this, that when I see this, so I'm hoping I'll say that, and I'm hoping they'll call me today. And when I do that and hear that, I know then you're moving. But you see, this necessarily isn't God's way. I want to say this very He up on you. He doesn't do the things we want him to do. The last thing Nehemiah would have said was this, and he may have been praying this way, Darlene, don't let me be sad. Don't let me be sad because if I'm sad, I'm going to get killed. So whatever you do, God, keep me happy in front of the king. Don't we pray like this? You see, because so much is what we believe must happen because we're trusting so much in ourselves. Oh, Lord, don't let that man come through the door now. Don't let this happen now. Don't let me be sad. So God answers his prayer, and what happens? He walks into the king's presence, and he's what? Sad. How could you do this, God? What is going on? Don't you understand who this man is and what he can do? I think this is where we live on a regular basis. And this is why it's so instructive, at least for me it is. I don't know about you. So the king says, hey, what's wrong with your face? to his answer. He answers with the wisdom of God. And as I read this verse 3, ask yourself this, when did Nehemiah get this wisdom? When did Nehemiah get this wisdom? We know where James had God answered the prayer immediately. We know God can do whatever. But at least in the natural sense, Nehemiah may have spluttered all over the place. Uh, well, uh, 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 yeah, well uh, could you give me a couple of days I get back with the king? He said, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? the king had given an edict in Ezra 4 that there'd be no more building in Jerusalem that it stopped and so he was wise he didn't say Jerusalem's torn down I need to go back home This is a phrase that probably connected to the king's religious belief. man ready for this moment and to give him everything that is necessary to be able to carry out this great work of rebuilding. Those four months of waiting were critical. So what did the king say in verse 4, in the beginning of verse 4? What do you want me to do for you? See, the king didn't say, hey, you're not supposed to be sad. The king's heart was changed. Man, at least put out of his presence, if not killed. And so, what Nehemiah thought was a catastrophe. I'm sad. I'm going to die. He's just asked me, "What's going on?" And so he begins to answer, and out of Nehemiah's mouth comes the wisdom of God. Have any of us been in circumstance? I asked this a few weeks. Something has come up, or a comment has been made, or a question has been asked, and you, all of a sudden, you start pouring forth with the wisdom of God. And not only Nehemiah has been ministered to by the Holy Spirit, but also the king. What do you need me to do for you, Nehemiah? Can I help you in any way? building of the walls of Jerusalem all those months of prayer and waiting and calling upon the Lord and learning to trust drawing into God getting into the word all of that for a minute's response but that response was critical for the initiation of the great rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem so after praying quickly Part of that verse 4b, praised quickly. He says, I gave another quick prayer, another quick prayer. This man is a praying man. He is steeped in prayer. He continually prays. After praying quickly, Nehemiah requested permission to rebuild the wall of the city of his father. what was happening God was giving Nehemiah everything needed and so Nehemiah responds where does that come from man? Nehemiah you smart man where where do you get this how do you know I've been waiting before the Lord the most critical issue in our life is that we wait before the Lord the most critical issue is that we wait before the Lord we'll find out in Was Nehemiah made two quick responses. Now, maybe he had a notepad, maybe he had an iPad, something like that, but he makes two quick responses. First, he asks for the king's protection. Look at verse 7. If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass. That this king doesn't know that Nehemiah is from Jerusalem. Don't you think the king probably knows where Nehemiah is from lineage, Don't you think somebody has kind of indicated, looked in this background? Have you ever gone to a job interview and they kind of do a background search? to move the same way in another circumstance, and we have to be careful that someone who received faith in a particular way to walk in this way, that comes along, and now someone else walks it differently, biblically, but differently, and we want to say, well, if he were really a man of faith, he wouldn't have asked for protection. Why would a man of faith ask for protection, John? You know, if God says go, go, you don't need all that other stuff, you just go in the power to the Jews of God's favor and to the locals of God's favor. He's coming with the protection to show I come with the king's favor to the Jewish people to encourage them and to the people who live in the vicinity who would be against this to let them know I'm from the king. He has a particular purpose in mind. Therefore, he asked for protection. Not only protection, but he asked for provision for all the materials and so on that he needs to have from the forest and so on. So he's released. He's released to go in verse 9, and he moves on out. But look at verse 10. Verse 10 is a hint of something. It's going to be what? What does verse 10 say? God is finally working. Come on, come on. We've all said that, haven't we? Or if we haven't said it. At least we thought it. What's wrong with the word "finally working"? What's wrong with that? Which is finding out that He's working. He's always been working. Finally, Victor, God is starting to move. Finally, brother, He's starting to do something. Do you notice that when the move? of God begins to become manifested in my life or in your life there's always verse 10 but sand ballot. what does that mean but opposition you see God is at work but there's somebody else always at work too the Holy Spirit is always at work but there's a malevolence will always be opposing the work of God. Could you write this down if you're not sure of it? Every time God moves in my life, I will experience a counter move from the enemy. It's axiomatic. It's going to happen. The enemy is not going to stand for God to bless us, to move in us, to use us, and he not oppose it. He's going to oppose. I don't know why I have so much trouble doing it. I can't. It's God's work being opposed by the enemy. But even God is in the opposition, allowing it and using it for his purpose. Once it gets to Jerusalem, Nehemiah didn't rush and immediately. Okay, let's get everybody get together. Come on, get together. We gotta get these work teams going and we need to start doing it. He goes into Jerusalem, having been given the wisdom of God over the last four months, and he begins to reconnoitre the place, looking at the gates and looking at the walls and looking at the condition and making assessments in his own mind what needs to be done. He's not telling anybody right now, I'm kinda walking around for three days, they probably wonder, What is this man doing? Why? Is he keep looking at these walls? They're in a mess. What is so interesting to him about this terrible situation? He's assessing, he is receiving God's first hand upfront assessment. Part of obedience to God is not just taking the word of others, but it is being used by the Holy Spirit to get a personal upfront assessment. And this is what he's doing. purpose of leading the rebuilding process. So the Lord is telling him what needs to be done as he assesses it. So he spends three days becoming personally acquainted with the scope of the work before sharing God's plan with the city officials. Three days. I have a scripture there. I think I have the right one. 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul says, be careful of your own others about yourself so that the rebuilding process may continue correctly. Obedience involves others. Obedience brings others into the activity. Now, it doesn't mean that every time you need to obey God, someone else has to be involved. But there is a very appropriate time, what happens? (coughs) Nehemiah encourages the help of the leadership to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And so in verses 17 and 18, he begins to collect the folks together and let them know what is going to happen. First, and say, look, I'm in charge, I'm going to tell you how to do this, you're going to rebuild, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. He is a leader who says, let us together, work together in the rebuilding, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And number three, he testified of the Lord's favor this for 150 years or whatever. Everybody's against this. This is never going to work. It won't work. I don't know whether I can do this. I don't know whether I'm gifted. I don't know whether this is God's come. There's so many questions. I'm not sure. So what does he do? How does he encourage? He says this, and I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me in verse 18. <coughs> how does he encourage people? this? How many of you have been richly encouraged by a testimony of someone? Anybody in here at all? Yes. You have a disease. Something has happened and you're worried and you find yourself at lunch with another believer one day and all of a sudden the believer is sharing something about it is one of the and read your testimony. That's not what we're talking about. We're collecting testimonies, the evidence in the natural world of the work of our God. We need testimonies. We need testimonies for encouragement. So what was the result? The people responded, let us rise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. And then lastly, obedience, anticipation. surprised by, nothing is wrong, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong, and you're disobedient, and you're bad, and you're sinning, and everything is going to cave in because there is an opposition, everything is right, probably, so what happened, let us go and do the work, and all of a sudden, you say, I'm going to obey God going to trust God. I know God's going to do this. I see the hand of God. Yes. Of sin, you're giving them opportunity, but the probability is that you're doing the right thing, and Satan is going to oppose that. And don't stand around and start questioning how many things we do done wrong. What's going? No, thank God, Father, the enemy is opposing. Would you rise up and be greater than his opposition? The enemy is going to oppose. I remember preaching one Sunday morning about a year or so ago, and and I don't know, I was probably excited about something about overcoming sin, and I remember saying on the stage, I'm going to pay for this, because I know that when we stand strongly against the things of the the, the devil, and we move strongly in a way for God, things are going to happen. That evening, my back after the operation, I was doing some twisting and turning, helping Gina do something, and the disc tore. will give us success. And we, his servants, will arise and build. Can we have this kind of an attitude? God's attitude. We're walking and moving in the will of God. We're going to be opposed. Things are going to go wrong. What are we going to do?